Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. I can get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll. And on with the show. All right. From now on, we're just going to name this show Daylight and a Dollar Short Bus Debate Club because... We're doing the Friday episode on Saturday. So, welcome to Friday's episode on Saturday. This is Brian Courtney on Daylight Dollar Short Bus Debate Club. It has, it has kind of a ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, this episode, we are going to talk about the death of online gaming. And, you know, once again, we're going to bring some historical stuff into it a little bit um but you know well for whatever reason and and i have my opinions on the matter online gaming was killed um so as usual darren's across the table he um wrote a thesis about it, so we're gonna let him do most of the talk in this this forty five minutes to an hour. I, n- I never actually finished the thesis because the oh. piece came and said that I needed to include her in my literature. Oh, that's and I, right. And I never, but I mean, no matter what, yes, I did all the. I mean, it, it, online gaming is interesting because I did it as an academic project, but I had spent a ton of time playing online. My dad spent a ton of time playing online. I spend a lot of time playing online. <laughs> I mean, poker, my aunt played probably everything but poker because she loves the slots, dude, yes. which is just the craziest shit ever. And, and line, like as, as quick as, you know, like part of the allure of online was that, you know, I could sit there and I could play, you know, 600 hands an hour, you know. And, and uh, if ten tables. Yeah. So if you're if you're if you're mathing that out and you're playing mathematically appropriate, then the numbers are going to come into balance quicker because you're going to reach the higher levels of variance quicker. But um, when you're talking about that in the context of context of casinos, I mean, I have some really weird because if if you're so so you're playing a game that uh that that the online casino has a seventeen percent advantage over you on. I mean, you're going to lose your money so fucking quick in that spot. I think she still plays, you know, because so the death of online gaming means you can't bet real money without going to a lot of fucking like not sneaky underhanded things, but you've got to definitely take a lot more steps than you should. You create a create a fake IP address. Um, you can uh, use alternative payment processing positions like crypto. Um, you can. Uh, there, there are ways, ways, ways and means. But like you said, you have, like you said, it's got to be kind of, it's got to be kind of tricky. But that's getting the carriage a little bit of, ahead of the horse. We do the the cart before the horse thing a lot. We, yeah, we, we're not, we're not linear, you know. <laughs> time, time is a flat circle. <laughs> that's 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 a scary, that's a scary thought. <laughs> so to to kind of frame it a little bit, um, my dad. And my mom got separated in 1989, divorced in 1990, Uh Neither one of them were making any good money. My dad was working at a mini mart at the time. He started to play poker at these weird little grandfathered in places in town. Uh, what, what's the name of the one that was down on uh, um, uh, Federal? The Horny Toad. Yeah. He played the Horny Toad. Um, and uh, I'd come and sit and watch sometimes. Like I, I'd, I'd go and play um, I, 
go to pool tournaments with them as well, but I go watch these these games play because my dad knew that I was a dork when it came to cards, like almost immediately. Um, it actually, when I was uh, 14, probably 13 or 14 years old, I went to a, a, a tournament with him and he put me up against these guys playing cribbage for money. Um, and I was beaten up on them. So he always kind of knew that he and I had a connection with regards to that. So in 1991, Colorado, in Colorado, uh, gambling becomes legal. Brick and mortar gambling becomes legal. So they start putting, uh, and but only inside Blackhawk, Central City, and Cripple Creek. Well, let's just clarify, though, okay. because you mentioned the horny toad. So in the state of Colorado, and I would assume other states as well, but here, as long as the house is not making money, they're not dragging a cut. Of, a rake, yeah, is part of the yeah. the pot. Yeah. Um, then you can gamble as much as you want in any establishment, and so technically the bars were doing they because they were making more money because people were going in there and gambling, and then they would drink and you know whatever, but they weren't making money off of the gambling itself. During that time period, there's no doubt that the horny fellows, their entire financial position was rooted in two or three games that they would run a day and having people coming in and buying drinks. So absolutely, that is, that is correct. So at that time, my dad realized that, uh, you know, he, he hadn't really, he didn't play poker every day until that separation in 1989. And then, he, you know, he was sad. He was alone. He started to play a ton of fucking poker. And he realized that he was pretty good at it. He started reading books, all the stuff that was produced, um, you know, Sklansky and all those guys. Um, uh and he realized that uh, maybe this is something that he could use as a profession. He had been a developer way before that. That was never going to resurface. Um, so he was sort of like when my parents got divorced, searching for a new identity. And he found it in poker. There's no doubt about it. So in 1991, when the casinos went up, um, and these were small casinos at first. This was not stuff. This was not Ameristar. This was not Harrah's. This was not Bally's. This is not what you see right now. These are little fucking mom and pop places, you know, that are just teeny at that point. Well, because it was really cool, uh-huh. right? I mean, historic. It was grounded in that historical. That, you know, you mentioned Deadwood um, when we were talking about the prostitutes. Um, so South Dakota did the same thing, uh-huh. where you took these old buildings from the west, and you kind of gutted the inside because you had to put cameras up and and more electricity and whatever, but. From the outside, it really felt like you were in the old west, yeah. dude. I, I mean, it was it was sweet. It's funny because when I did go to Central City only one time when I was very young, but it was like second or third grade. And yes, the the original, the way that I experienced it in second grade, if you went up there in '91, it would have been very similar, other than a bunch of extra wires coming in and out of. <laughs> but so he he and that's what he did, and he actually started dealing. Um, sometime around dealing cards, poker specifically, around 99, 2000, something like that, because propping, which is what he did for for that time period, uh, which means when you're a proposition poker player, you sit down at the table, um, you get paid an hourly rate, but you're playing with your own money, and you're helping them to start games, and once the game fills, they kick your ass out, and then you got to go sit at the next table and wait for another one. So if you get aces cracked, you know, or you flop a couple of sets and you're in, you know, 140 you got to go and wait for another game to start before you can sort of like even it out is probably, I did it for about a year. It is one of the most nerve wracking jobs. If you, if you prop and you can stay in the games for longer, it's different. But when they kick your ass out of the games, it's very difficult. So 
either way, my dad did that for uh, that uh, for about a decade, and then he started dealing because dealing poker is, is is really good money. So '99, uh, I go up to Seattle. I play poker a little bit with my dad at this card room that you can play at under um, under 21. Um, <clears throat> but still, I don't get the chance to touch it very much, right? Um, but I've been talking poker theory with my dad and watching it and looking at the math for a very long time at that point in time. So the, the online poker thing started to happen right around 2000. Um, I decided that I had $200 that I could try and I put $200 on Paradise Poker um, and uh, I ran it up into about $4,000 and I would go and eat barbecue with my dad uh, once or twice a month. And I started arguing with him about the online stuff. And he was sort of, at this point, you had these purists that were like, there's only live poker. You can't make live reads if you're playing online. Uh, somebody's going to be cheating you. Somebody's going to be looking at your hold cards, which turned out that in certain instances was true, but not in all. Because it, in a caveat on tour position, you know, let the buyer beware. Um, there are people that are going to realize that you make more money by creating an honest game than you do by ripping people off. So the stuff that happened with, ultimate bet and absolute with Russ Hamilton, which again, something we can talk about a little bit more later, where they were using a key to, to see people's whole cards. Um, uh, they got busted. <laughs> I don't know if I would consider myself a poker purist or not. Mm -hmm. Maybe because I, I think I'm a purist in a lot of cases. Um, but I was maybe just paranoid about that kind of thing because, you know, I mean, there's no way to tell what sort of algorithm they're building. Um, even if it's not straight up cheating, they could build it to where it's easier for collusion and, and shit like that. Um, you know, private chats because you don't have to have a chat to where the entire table can see it. But they did find ways to negotiate. Like, if two people end up showing up on the same table in an inordinate amount of time, or you know they don't play against each other, they don't you know they don't go after you. there there were things and there were forums that developed. That's how they caught the absolute. Uh, that's how they caught Russ Hamilton was. Two, there was a huge forum that developed called Two Plus Two Poker, and uh, these guys were dorks. So they take Poker Tracker, and when, once you have Poker Tracker, you can st statistically see how people measure up against you based on winning hands how many they're playing blah 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 and so if you if you can imagine there's this there's there's a circle that represents you know people winning or losing what seems like a reasonable amount of hands so there and it's on an x and y axis and there's going to be the really good poker players are going to be up in the upper left the really bad ones are going to be in the lower right russ hamilton was like and there were two other accounts that they were using um they were so far outside of that standard deviation that the only way that they could have been winning as much as they were was by seeing people's whole cards. And they, they proved it. They, I, I don't know what ended up happening to him. He's not in the poker world anymore, which is too bad because the guy had won the World Series of Poker um, about 10, 10 or 12 years before this had happened. He just fucked up. So back to the paradise thing. So my dad and I were arguing at dinner, and I said, just come over and watch me. You know, so... Finally, on a Saturday, he comes over and sits, and uh, he sat there for five hours. I was playing two, three, six games. That's a $3 and $6 blind. Um, and uh, 
No, it's a dollar fifty, three dollar blind. By now, everybody has to know what slot. that means, right? I don't, I don't think so. I think there are some people that have no. I mean, I still talk to people that don't know shit about poker. If you go into Mirage, where my mom and dad go and sit there and do the free games, those guys have no idea what a structured game is. Okay, so if we're sitting at a table, then there's a dealer button, and that means that person's the dealer. Not that they're actually dealing the cards, but the button represents that's where the dealer would be sitting, and the blind. Small blind to the left, big blind, two to the left. And then the betting starts after the big blind, and then it circles around, and, you know, you raise, call, whatever. So I, I said it wrong, though. So in a 3-6 game, it's a fifty small blind, based on what Brian just said. It's a $3 big blind. There's a $3 bet and three raises that you can do before anybody sees the flop. There's a, there's the same structure after the after the flop and then on the turn in the river you double the bet so it's six dollars a bet and three raises and that's just in order to cap the pot yeah and 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 to punish people for the point of poker is is that the people that are more mathematically thoughtful is that they can punish the people that make mistakes so you've got to have the double bets to punish so that's but either way um he sat down i was playing two three, two shorthanded three six games shorthanded games have a lot more volatility than uh long long-handed games because you have to play more hands and you have to play them infinitely more aggressively so i got in the game i was stuck a thousand and then he watched me swing to where i was a thousand up he sat there for five hours and was just by the end of it he's like i, I want an account i want to play I, I i see what you're saying there's some there's something to this so he went and got an account. Um, there were problems with the sites at that point in time. Um, there was an instance where I was playing uh, a, a sit and go, and it was on dial-up. We were not at high-speed internet space at that point in time. Yeah, we. I, in, in, at least I didn't. I not in 2001. I didn't have any anything special. When I was playing, when I was working at the political science office, they had a much better internet connection, so I never had any problems when I was playing while I was working at. Because I had DSL at the condo. But that was later. The condo was when, after I came back. I bought it in 2001. I, I mean, whatever. Yeah, so. uh, okay. E either way, we, we, no, no matter what, you're right. We, High-speed high internet was coming, but shit, I was using fucking, net, uh, what was it called? Not, um, the free one, the Z Net Zero. I was using Net Zero half the time, you know, which is no longer, it's a dinosaur. It no longer exists. So my dad started playing online a ton, and in 2003, um, he ended up winning a seat, uh, a $7,000 seat onto a cruise ship, and the, it was called the Party Poker Million. Now, what was happening at that point in time, online poker was really interesting. It, it, you know, it's, you want to you talk about how funny it is that I'm making an argument about a game where everything's rooted in mathematical probabilities, but you want to talk about the perfect storm for all the things to line up and make it just get huge, like fucking in such a short period of time, like online poker, everything fucking happened in the right, in the right moment. So three things that kind of happened uh, in this space. Um, that summer, uh, a guy by the name of Chris Moneymaker uh, satellites into the World Series. He played a $40 tournament. He gets a seat into the World Series. His last name is fucking Moneymaker. Give me a break, you know? What a tool. And he ends up going on to win uh, the the World Series that year. And it was the first time anybody had won that didn't have somebody else buying it for him or, th or th through a satellite that was inside the Horseshoe Casino itself. So ultimately, um, everybody could see that if you had money and you had access to a web uh, to, to, to a computer 
anybody can win a seat into the World Series. At the same time, there was the rise of these uh, poker shows on on TV. So like the Travel Channel had what they called the WPT. So I was saying about my dad in 2003, he won a seat into that that tournament, which was a you know, it was a structured tournament, which is really weird because everything was no limit at that point in time. But because the the people that were running these things were were purists and they liked mixed games and they liked different types of you know. Omaha is a lot different game than, than Hold'em. Stud is a way different game. Raz is a way different game. So either way, Party was billed as the structured tournament one. Uh, my dad ended up finishing eighth uh, that, that year. He missed the TV table by, by two spots. But no matter what, um, that success and the success of some other people that were around us at that point in time uh, made us all want to do it. But there's no doubt that Moneymaker pushed the fucking U.S. Uh, market through the roof. Well, and then you ended up with these smaller um, tournaments, you know, so then, you know, obviously there's the World Series of Poker, but then, you know, the WPT popped up, and then the WPT ended up having a spinoff, I think, but the World Poker Tour was weird because they were kind of just hitting the small casinos that you know, nobody had ever heard of really. And it was so funny because they would make it look all shiny and there's bright <laughs> lights and shit and whatever. But I went to that same casino in St. Louis that they went to and that poker room was a piece of shit. I mean, <laughs> there was water stains all over the ceiling and tiles were falling in. There was a fucking, it, like it used to be a storage room because there was a, chain link fence that was locked up over in one corner. <laughs> but another thing that they did, so you were right about the storms thing, but they also did a really good job marketing because they did, and I'm going to compare it because I think the, the sensory stuff when you start dragging pots is the same thing and even when you're just in a big pot but they would give you $20 free or $25 free or whatever and you know you'd win a couple hands or maybe you'd win an entire sit and go tournament so you beat nine people straight away now you got 140 bucks or something like that you yeah. signed up for an account and put money in there immediately and, dude. and, and you're, you're of course you're right so like when i broke my shoulder so i come back from school in toronto this and this is before the my dad's tournament but it's the same year i flipped off a bike i tore my labor i break my right wrist I'm stuck, and I just had come back from Toronto. I had a, one last graduate assistant check. It was fifteen hundred bucks. I transferred it on on the net teller and started moving it around because they did they gave what they called uh, deposit bonuses. So there were certain sites that would give you a hundred percent relative to it, but you had to play X number of hands. So like say, uh, I, I get a perf I get an even match, so I'd always deposit the maximum amount. So if it was five hundred, I put five hundred on, and they said I had to play. 3,000 raked hands, and then they give me 500 bucks. So I started being what they called a bonus chaser, right? So I had $1,500, so I always had 500 in, because it was always, the max would always be for the 500 limit. So I'd always have money in between two places and 500 that I was playing with. And because I was stuck there with my fucking arm broken, 
I had to learn to quit to, to use the mouse with my left hand, so I became poker ambidextrous at that point. But also, um, I was I learned how to be a break-even poker player, and that like when you're playing that many, like I said, seventy to one hundred hours a week, that's a lot of fucking hands, and fifteen hundred dollars is not very much money when I'm basically playing two, four, and three, six, which is not enough money to play those games when I have my money in between all the time. But yes, it, they they did so many promotions to pull motherfuckers in, and once you again like. You, you you got that free twenty bucks and they did they, they did the free ones all the time the free free twenty free fifty you know and you'd have you but you couldn't keep, you couldn't take the money out until you played a certain number of because it wasn't poker stars that I initially started with it was uh, the dude um what was the other one it was um, stars was there full tilt was there. Um, uh, party poker was the party poker the was the time. first yeah party poker. party poker was the first one that i signed uh-huh. up with um when we went to we went to uh on a, a tour to go see a butterfly pavilion when we were on that cruise me and my dad and we ended up on the the bus with the owners the ones that wrote the program for for it he gave me and my dad a card and said, "This is our affiliates program. You should you should try to get some other people to sign up, which they they give you rake back. And then if you so you get rake back, and then if you have other people that sign up below you, you get a part of their rake. Yeah, back it was too. multi-level marketing. And it was it was poker star or poker party poker was not that big yet. But by the time of 2006, when when I won my seats, God, I should have listened to that motherfucker. I could have been making money hand over fist. Those affiliate programs, you know, because they didn't make props, but this is a way to where you can make money." And if you if I can even my fucking rake out to where less money's coming off the table, that's only going to increase my positive expectations. So. That's essentially what that entire movie Runner Runner was about was the affiliate program. Like he ended up talking to the shady dude down in the Bahamas or wherever the fuck they were, Honduras. I haven't ever watched. Them. I know I should watch that. It's about um, but they <laughs> they were having this big affiliate party down there um so everybody there was affiliates um and i you know i never thought of well because i always hated amway and i know that amway doesn't have shit to do with poker but it's essentially the same thing you know you sell this to this guy and as long as he goes and sells to those people then you start making money i'm a fucking salesperson i just want to yeah mary Kay. I mean, so fucking many of them. Herbalife. Yeah, oh yeah. The fucking... There's a ton of hippie ones, dude. Dude, and for some reason, Salt Lake City is like headquarters to so many of them, dude. I think that might be because the Mormon church is actually a (laughs) multi-level marketing strategy. (laughs) Did I just say that out loud? I love you, Dean. I love you, Karen. Sorry. But I think that there's some people that are at the top of that church that are making tons and tons and tons of money. Money, for sure. I like going down there during Christmas because they spend a lot of money decorating the entire fucking downtown. Anyway, so, poker. Uh, the, well, no, so the, the, the affiliates thing and then the, the, the money coming back through the bonus chasing and then the, the, the deposits. The really good, you're, you're right, they really had some very good uh, uh, advertising and, and techniques to get, to get people on there. So, but I, ran, I, ran, I went broke, right? And... I needed to get a real job anyway. I wasn't going to go back to school. I was all fucking disenchanted with the academy. So I ended up becoming a prop in Blackhawk. Um, and propping is brutal. So like I'm seeing my dad over at another casino making good money dealing. So I learned how to deal. 
And then I also um, start running poker tournaments up there. Because like Brian said, like, dude, the amount of tournaments that started popping up everywhere during that time period, bar poker became fucking huge, you know. But we would... We ran these uh, uh, these things where we'd give like a, 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 when when it was the station we'd run these uh, competitions to where um, for Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday if you played these tournaments you'd get points and you'd get bonuses for making final tables and cashing and if you were in the top forty for these then you play for uh, a seat in a WPT event or a seat in the World Series events that we would that the casino would put up um, but uh, Dude, I loved playing in those fucking satellites, and it wasn't even because I was aiming at a seat. It was because I bought in for a hundred and forty bucks, and I'd make six hundred. Yeah, I mean, it's, fun. <laughs> it's good. Just boom, boom, boom. That was at the gates, though, when you were doing those, wasn't that at the yeah. gates? Yeah, I forgot about that. That even that we even did that. But okay, so um, I did that until about two thousand six. And then in 2006, 2006, it t- another huge, really weird turn happens, right? And it's a bad turn. Um, so several things happened. I, I, I got to go back a little bit. So in 2004, uh, party goes, um, they sell off 23% of their, uh, their the ownership of the company in, in, into an IPO, and they go public on the London Stock Exchange. Of course, they're going to do it on the London Stock Exchange because nobody's talking about making internet gambling or internet poker illegal in, in the UK. But they are talking about it all over the place from the second that it started to get big in the U.S. Um, the the uh, uh, the Republican uh, leader, the, the the head in the, the Senate, what's the Senate majority leader? Yeah, uh, was Bill Frist at the time. And every five seconds, he's trying to put up a new law to, to make online gambling illegal. Uh, there was a an act that was from 1961 called the Wire Act. Uh, they kept trying to twist things out of that legislation that was about interstate horse racing, bet, ho- interstate gambling in relation to horse race betting. Um, but it, this this one guy that I was listening to, he says uh, he says that was like trying to use uh, caveman tools to um, do brain surgery, and that's it's just an, an, it's way too out of date. So well, no, I was just going to ask because I know that. Because you told me, and then I I looked it up again because I was trying to find, basically, I guess you could call it its grandfather or its father to the Wire Act because Dutch Schultz in Chicago built a huge, basically, phone room. And he was taking bets. And... You know, all of a sudden, you know, he's taking bets from Philadelphia and, so and these was, other places. So he was places. using that phone number as a way of taking interstate bets. Yeah, okay. so if I had, because, I mean, they were pissed at Schultz and they were pissed at, you know, fucking the entire five families, even though they didn't call them the five families back then, <laughs> because they started doing the same thing, you know, so You're they're... them off, that's what, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Might be important to um, so they had to come up with something, I'm guessing, to kind of curb that back then. Um, cause prior to that, I mean, you know, in Harlem, they made all of their money and it wasn't even sports betting. You I mean, they numbers. were just doing the number. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. I don't know if it makes, what a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm combinating, man. I'm combinating. <laughs> and I didn't know until very recently how they picked it because I thought that's a bunch of bullshit. They could just pick a fucking number out of the air. Yeah. But, you know, it was always the rule of thumb that they used the sixth number of the actual state lottery or, you know, whatever. I didn't know how they did it. Yeah, so. that's how the. But it came random from some other location. Right. So that, that way, you know, they couldn't just say, so okay, well, it was it. it was 15. Yeah, it's, it's, the fixing is way out, well out of their hands. And they're only dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars back then. Because right? so. well, people were putting dimes in. Give me a dime. I'm combinating, man. I'm combinating. <laughs> so there, my my point was is that there had to be some sort of wire act, and maybe you know, like we talked about on a couple of different episodes, Congress will get tricky and they'll start rewriting shit. And where it was in Title 18, now it's in 52 or whatever. Or they that, just that was what they the way they kept trying to swing it is exactly the way that you're talking about right there. But how it ends up getting in the bill that they push it through on is just the one about about one of the most fucked up things in the history of the universe, right? So, but to sort of like preface that real quick, um, I won seats into the party poker million and the main event, uh, and I spent sixty five dollars winning. $26,000 worth of shit, which was That was when awesome. you went and brought all those Cuban cigars back. That, yeah, that, time, was, right? that is correct. So, um, <laughs> we, uh, um, so in 2006, uh, the World Series of Poker was a fucking monster. And of course, like, we went from the money maker, money maker standard to the gold standard. Some fucking idiot fucking producer guy from fucking Hollywood. Named Jamie Gold wins it. He's he's yapping at the table all the time, and he just wants that motherfucker to shut the fuck up sometimes. But he definitely talks some people into making some calls. But uh, while that's happening, uh, like I said, the party went uh, public on the the London Stock Exchange for just under four billion dollars is what it, the valuation ended up being, right? And uh, through that twenty three percent. They end up getting, you know, just right around a billion dollars worth of investment from the IPO. And uh, by, so that happened in 2004. By the time 2006 occurs, the World Series occurs, the valuation of uh, party is actually at 12 billion at that point in time. When it went public, it went public for more than any other thing in the history of London Stock Exchange because there's just so much money. The overhead's low. All you got to deal with is security service and just making sure you're getting more people on the fucking site, you know? Um, and the valuation of $12 billion for party was more than Harris. All right. So in that moment, uh, I was watching this thing where they were talking about why Bill Frist was pushing this stuff through. And he keeps talking about how uh, he wanted to make a run for president in 2008. So he was trying to uh, appease this huge donor out of Indiana. That's the one that's necessary for him to be able to make his a uh, make his bid right but i i don't believe that for a second it wasn't just that republican i'm sure he was getting tons and tons of fun funding from brick and mortar casinos that were seeing how this was going to size up and they were not seeing online the online gambling or the online poker as a way of like to where you would connect both of those industries uh yeah i don't understand why they wouldn't just say you know what we've got a brick and mortar but for those people that don't ever want to leave their house let's make some money off them too you know why they didn't MGM launched launched uh, uh, several of them and they all failed. 
a hair as long. Well, as MGM still they have one, and it's not good. No. So the problem is they didn't understand how to fit themselves into the. So the the, the conspiracy theory is that you move these big ones, you you move the monsters out of the market. You move, I mean, full tilt, which it turns out it's a good thing that they pulled it out of the market. But Poker Stars, because Poker Stars was such a fucking giant that uh, they, they needed to move them aside. So either way, so the Bill Frist thing, right? Uh, Jamie Gold wins the fucking World Series. At the end of 2006, this fucking cocksucker head of the Republican majority... I'm trying to find the goddamn name of that. So, okay. So, during the 11th hour, at the very end of the session, it had already been voted through in, in the House, and they had to push it back through to, to re-vote because of this amendment. Uh, <clears throat> there, was a, there was an act called the Security and Accountability for Every Port Act, or the Safe Port Act, which was a, a piggy bank on uh, port security in relation to all the bullshit things that had come out of 9-11. Are you talking, because uh, when you're talking about wire, I thought when they say port, they're talking about port. No, 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 this, the, forget about the wire act. That was what they were trying to use before. And gotcha. they realized okay. that they realized that that was not going to be good enough. So they actually make a really smart turn and they do attack something that they can affect. Right. So they inserted in that bill in the 11th hour, uh, an act called the gambling, the unlawful Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, or UIGEA, all right? What the UIGEA did, it did essentially two things, all right? It made it a crime to accept money for illegal gambling so that the, the sites themselves were committing a crime at that point in time, regardless of whether or not they were here or there, because if you're functioning in our jurisdiction, this that's the rhetorical disposition they made. If you're functioning in our jurisdiction with the people that you're servicing, then that means that you're acting there, therefore you're legally responsible for it. Okay, the second thing that it did was uh, it, it was charged with creating regulations that would prevent payment processors from uh, spending money, from moving money from US from the US players to operators, right? So that is the most important thing. Anybody that acted as an intermediary was committing a financial crime at that point in time. So like the first thing that happened was they they busted net teller in 2007 oh one one other important point um when this happened um the three major companies that were online poker sites at that point in time were the ones that we've mentioned the most it was uh full tilt it was party poker, party poker and poker stars uh party poker was like i said publicly traded on the london stock exchange because it had securities positions uh the stockholders would maintain liability if they were operating illegally inside of a country. So they were instructed to take to remove themselves from the from the US market at that point in time. So party left, right? But both stars and full tilt were privately owned. They never went public. So they said we're gonna gamble with this. We can make so much fucking money. Anything that they 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 charge us with regards to a fine. And it's all civil stuff anyway. You can't really charge us any anything criminally. Uh, unless there's some sort of other thing that applies, which will come into play with full tilt at the at the end of this. Um, but again, first, so so parties out, full tilt and stars are staying in, uh, and ultimately, uh, NetTeller continues to process money going back and forth between the sites that are functioning in the U.S. and the players that are functioning with them. In 2007, NetTeller gets fist fucked by the Department of Justice for uh, 
$136 million fine. And the uh, owners of the <laughs> the owners of the of, of NetTeller had to uh, publicly acknowledge that they've committed the crime and re remove themselves. So the, the point was that people were not looking at the, the payment processing position as a, a valid thing. They're like, this is bullshit. So once they said, yes, we're what we did was wrong, then in the public side, it, you're starting to get people conditioned to see that again. And it's never the players that are that are that are doing something illegal. It's only the people that are creating the conditions for the players to play that are doing something illegal. Well, no, that I was just going to say, and it's a little bit different because at least the weed people could take cash, you know. So with poker, you can't do that online. But, I mean, that's the same way that they fucked everybody on a federal level because they said, okay, you know what? If you're a bank and you're dealing with the weed company, we're going to fuck you over. I mean, you're going to pay fines. We might just shut down your entire line of business. Um, so they, they like, but that, that's what they do to everybody. We're going to, you know, shut off all your accounts. That's why we need to have cryptocurrency so that we can have a reserve currency that exists outside the context of a governmental position. La, 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 la. So that is correct. <laughs> So the net teller thing was in 2007. I'm forgetting what 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 happened next. Um, Didn't somebody oh, get in right. trouble? No. Okay. So that that's that's so that's where we'll we'll end up at. All right. So um, I kept moving money back and forth through um, these external. So like it the the payment processors actually functioned through the sites then. They just had an arm that they connected to that did the payment processing for them. It was no longer a giant. Uh, like a PayPal, like a NetTeller, a giant intermediary that is really uh, publicly uh, visible. And I didn't ask any questions because, to be honest with you, I was out of work a fair amount of time here and there, and I needed to make money to pay for my fucking car. You know, I was out on the road, and I was playing a ton at that point in time, too, especially when I played in 2007 at the series when I was working out there for two and a half months. I will not say how much money I made playing poker that, that summer, but it was a good summer. Um in uh but when the money was going back and forth i can see on my bank account statements you know six hundred dollars into my account from the bike shop.com two hundred dollars coming out of my account to fuzzy white animals.com you know <laughs> so i keep looking at these things so i like I, I'm laughing because I can see that they're 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 just giving it a, a fake name, right? And it is the money that's going back and forth. And nobody that's playing and making money off is going to say anything to the government about it. But un unfortunately, as we know, uh, even if we don't tell them, they can look inside of our bank accounts and see what those things are. So ultimately, that's that's what ended up happening. But uh, in 2011, in April 15th, on April 15th, 2011. Um, Finally, after all this shit had gone on, uh, the, the the bill had been put in place in 2006, NetTeller got punished, but nothing had really stopped. All of the accounts were frozen uh, for everything on Full Tilt and everything on Party Poker. Or not Party Poker, uh, Poker Stars. Party Poker did not get punished because they willingly pulled themselves out of the, out of the set. So... Um, there was a lot of money that was that was there for 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 that while, and there were a ton of negotiations that were uh, going on back and forth between the sites and the and the Department of Justice. But ultimately, um, 
the, the, the Department of Justice, uh, they made a huge deal. Uh, what ended up being with, uh, so everybody got, everybody got charged, right? Um, they got charged with, uh, so this is what it says. Individuals lied to U.S. banks by setting up false businesses to act as conduits for internet gaming payments disguised as as something else uh, uh, and, mis and then miscoding the transactions. Because if you have a transaction that's a digital crime transaction, it's coded based on the category that it fits into. And internet gambling had a very specific coding. Um, and of course, they were lying about it. You know, there there's some irony there, though, because I'm sure a lot of these politicians end up using this anyway. And they may have used the poker thing. But if you go to the titty bar and you don't have any cash generally you can buy titty bar cash um at the hustler club it's do called they, do they call it that well at the hustler clubs it's called beaver bucks oh, okay um at beaver bucks is good at pts it's called i think gold dollars or some shit and i like that i like the other one but. yeah beaver bucks makes sense but <laughs> when you run your credit card they charge you 10% more for whatever. So if you want 400, they charge you 440, but then it says $440 to whatever steakhouse or not, something. Not, yeah. It doesn't be, say to beaver bucks down at PT's gold. It, it doesn't <laughs> say Larry Flint's hustler club. Um, so I just think that they, they, Use these laws when it's convenient for them and when they want to prosecute. Somebody. Look, look, you, you know, I mean, one thing that I've repeated over and over and over again here all over the place is that if you believe that we live in a capitalist economy, you are a fucking retard. We do not live in a capitalist economy. If we lived in a capitalist economy, we would have allowed this industry to grow by its own accord. We would not have intervened. You might have done some simple things to make sure that, you know, regulations to make sure that people aren't getting cheated here or there, you know, to make sure that they're administering proper security inside of the websites themselves to, again, to protect the consumer, sort of like a consumer protection position. But ultimately, outside of the consumer protection position, if we were a capitalist economy, everybody else would have to stay the fuck out. But let's be clear. There's a ton of money invested in, in Vegas. There's a ton of money invested in New Jersey. There's a ton of money invested in the Gulf Coast. And now there's—I mean, it's everywhere else. You got them fucking Connecticut. You got—you got them here. There are huge brick-and-mortar casinos everywhere. It costs way less money to run an online site, like I had suggested before. So they were threatening the continuation of that that industry, and people were afraid of it. Yeah, I mean, it is a hypocrisy. It's a hot hypocrisy of the highest order, you know. But I still think that they should put beaver bucks on the trans the transaction code. I think it would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> So, well, I think it was to protect mainly from your girlfriend or yeah, wife. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know what they're doing. I like that. It, it could it, have been. It is, it is a steakhouse, though. I mean, when they were putting the bicycle shop. It's a taco shop. Yeah. The, uh, they could do the pink taco shop at the other. Right. <laughs> I like it. It's good. <laughs> so ultimately, um, all this money's in limbo, right? I mean, and everybody's waiting. And when you're talking, so like. I had kind of seen the the uh, writing on the wall. Like I knew, and if you listened, if you put your fucking ear to the railroad track, you should understand that 
there were rumblings that this was going to eventually come down. And the only way that it was going to come down as if you saw what happened, because with the net teller case, they actually had frozen a, a huge chunk of money too. They were going to, it was going to look something like that. And at some point in time, they were going to do it. I was starting to work uh, more at the post office anyway. So uh, I just kind of had, uh, I didn't have time to play anyway. It didn't really fucking matter to me anymore. So I pulled my, most of my money out. I left whatever, I mean, if it gets shut down and I lose it, then that's fine. But there are people that had, so if you're playing, like, say you're playing like, a, um, you know, 100, 200, no limit, because they had huge games on full tilt, and they had huge games on stars. If you're <laughs> playing 100, 200, no limit, you have to have $200,000 when you sit down at the table, which means that you have to have, you know, 12, 14 million behind. I mean, there's a thing called the bankroll for a reason. You don't play these games. It's because you can run bad for a long time, but if you believe in numbers over the, the, the long haul, you're going to be a winner. So ultimately, this poor son of a bitch who was fucking playing out of California that was playing 100, 200, now he's got $14 million. It's basically stuck in the middle that he can't get access to until these guys, if, or maybe if he'll ever get access right. to it again. So, But thankfully, um, at a certain point, things got dealt with. Uh, however, I mean, Poker Stars was the most honest. Like, they got their stuff paid back as quickly as they possibly could. I can't find my numbers on it. But they did. they took care of it and they did what was right. They paid back the 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 players and it was I think in mid 2013 because they weren't going to allow the players to get paid back until they had negotiated their uh, overall legal yeah position. So um, oh that, yeah that was uh, July 31st 2012. So Stars had to pay 547 million dollars over the course of a three year time period. The problem with Full Tilt, however, was Full Tilt was, in fact, a Ponzi scheme. Like they were, you, you, you had, so you had the three people at the top. One of these names I feel bad about having to say, but the guy might be the greatest poker player in history, but he was a scam artist. Phil Ivey was making, they, they, they paid to those players what they called, oh, what in the fucking world was it that they called those things? Uh, full Tilt owners, Ponzi scheme, fuck. Fuck Howard Letter, fuck Chris Ferguson, and fuck Phil Ivey. Oh, that's that's what I said right there. They paid them what they called <laughs> monthly distributions, all right? They would pay to monthly distributions totaling $10 million a month, right? When it was all said and done, when everything got shut down, they had be the, the owners of Full Tilt, who were the people that I referred to, and the other guy, uh, Ray Bittar, who was the CEO, the only one that wasn't a poker player, and also the only one who actually got indicted over all this stuff. Uh, they were the ones that were making this money, but they got paid a total of $443,860,530 to these payouts. There was also a ton of money that was being funneled into the people that they promoted, you know, like uh, uh, Lane Flack and, you know, all, all those other motherfuckers. Uh, Eric Lindgren, um, even Matt Hughes was a, a sponsor because UFC was trying to get invested in, in uh, Full Tilt a little bit. Tie it up with the Vegas connection. And... <laughs> So, uh, but what ended up finally happening, and everybody did, the, the, the vast um, bulk of people um, got paid back. Uh, when the agreements were made, uh, Poker Stars ended up buying up Full Tilt's name. And part of the agreement was that they would pay back uh, the players the amounts of money. And they were going to take it, they, they owed like $390 million to players. So, Stars just put. 
$390 million, put it in a fund, and the Department of Justice was actually the people that, that paid it all out. And, of course, we all understand that that was done that way because if anybody was going to get audited for the amounts of money that they had in there, the Department of Justice wanted to see the, all that money first. So, you know, because nobody that plays poker full-time isn't evading taxes a little bit, you know. No, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, obviously, and I don't know if it's because of the amount of money that we have, if it's because we're fucking degenerate, insert word here, <laughs> um, if it's, it's not the population, but for some reason, and, and, you know, things are starting to shift, um, you know, India, their economy is, is pretty white hot right now china obviously um which is that fucking doing zero covid fucking shutdowns they'd be doing a lot better that whole bricks thing but um you know every company really wants to do business in the united states and i think that those poker companies still you know doing business in in europe and in asia Australia, I think they're still doing okay, right? I mean, well, there have been there have been changes to the to the guard. There's a, there's a new <laughs> so like the way that I would would finish this out is so the, the question is what is what is the state of online poker today or online gambling today? Like there's a company called GG Poker that's risen and it's really um, done very well, but uh, PokerStar still exists. It's not going to go anywhere. I mean, they're fucking huge still. Um, well, no, that's what I'm saying party, though is that they're poker, doing okay, right? Poker got hurt a ton. Because they were the they were the predominant U.S. provider, and they had other things that were going on like skins. Did you ever see Empire Poker? Empire. The you mean online game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Empire Poker was a site that they purchased the skin from Party, and there were they had about seven or eight of these sites. Yeah, there were a that. bunch of them because I thought it looked it looked it's exactly like Party same. Poker. And they just were different colors, but. Um, when the uh, when party elected to pull out, so they were talking to these all these folks beforehand, and they kept saying no, 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 and they're like, well, we're the ones that create the space for you to do it on, and we're a publicly traded company. They said exactly what they said. We're a publicly traded company. We're we're exposed to too much liability at that point in time. We have to remove ourselves from that market. So they did a midnight um, uh, update, like a software update that separated them from these other these other sites that refused because some of them they they came to an agreement and they they bought them back and and just took them over you know it's funny though i mean if if the things in the united states would have worked out that would have been just fucking brilliant because i'm sure what they did is they said okay you're gonna pay us an upfront fee plus a rake you know, you're going to pay us some monthly thing for licensing. Um, you know, we'll provide you the skin. Um, you'll have the shit on our servers. You don't have to do shit except collect money and, and do your own marketing. Um, it, if the United States, I mean, it, it could have been great. And, you know, in, 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 in connecting to a previous show that we did, they're, they're, they're gambling companies, right? Who do you think provided the biggest server farms for these gambling companies in in, in, the, in North America? I I don't know. I would go with, well, Think about so it for a second. Think about you're it. You're talking about 
a big building, server farm. Okay, I just for these these online casinos. Well, I know that they probably put them somewhere in Iowa or Nebraska. Way of them mm. apologizing to these these indigenous populations for taking doing the same thing that we did essentially, and these fucking online these these uh, indigenous populations were making fucking bucks providing that space for those fucking nice. <laughs> um, I I wanted to roll back because you know initially I I recognized the name Frist but I didn't know from where and then I saw that he was from Tennessee. Yeah. So the reason I recognized his name, and, and the reason I'm mentioning this, again, is because I want everyone to understand that regardless of whether you're a congressman or a senator, those people don't have shit in common with any of us. So Frist's grandfather founded Hospital Corporations of America, and... When he died, he was worth $7.63 billion or something when he died in, I don't know, whenever. Um, so he's a he was a fucking billionaire um, and still just wanted to fucking bully people and tell you you can't play cards or, or anything. Um, didn't have shit to do with poker, but they're all rich and we're not. <laughs> so, <laughs> you just need to keep that in mind Somebody when you're really voting for those people. Okay, so he died in 1998, and he was worth $7.6 billion. Um, that was his dad? Or him? That was his dad, yeah. His no, dad, that yeah. was his grandfather. His grandfather, okay, yeah. Because he had to live till at least 2007. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he should be him. HCA. Hospital Corporations of America. All right. One, one other thing about, about where we're at in relation to uh, the online gambling situation right now. Do you think for a second that you ever maintain an advantage over a sports book when you're betting on it? Let, let me be as abundantly clear on this point as I possibly can be. You're never going to take a bet that's going to say plus 110, minus 110. That would be even all the way across the board. You're always giving up points. So that means that you're losing to the fucking house no matter what. If that's the case, and sports betting is not – I mean, there may be some skills in it. I, I understand that there are people that run numbers. They can pick up tendencies, and they there might be a skill to it. But the skill to poker is not as nuanced as that. I should definitely have access to poker. And if we have legal sports betting, then we damn sure should have legal poker at least back in this country. And they fucking killed the population – there was such a wonderful player pool back then. I mean, people were bad, you know? I just, I'd sit there and play 10, 10, either 3 plus 30 cents or 6 plus 60 cents, sit and go, 90 man sit and goes on full tilt. I'd do it for like 14 hours straight, and I'd make good money doing that. And I was doing that with a skill. Now, you said something about algorithms earlier and about, or, and, because uh, there's no such thing as a perfect random, random number generator because you always have to start with a first premise. If there's a first premise, then there's going to be a directionality to, to certain tendencies inside of it. I am 150% sure that, that there was a problem with the with the random number generator on the turn with aces. And I made some really weird mathematical calls where I normally wouldn't have done it because I'm sure that there was a problem with the, with, with Full Tilt's uh, program. Well, and dude, I mean, 
you know, with artificial intelligence and machine learning being what it is today Mm -hmm. compared to what just was, you know, barely existing back then. Yeah, we come a long way in 10 years. Well, and they can see this kind of stuff. So, I mean, one, they could probably find collusion a lot easier. Two, um, you'd see those differentials like automatic. Well, right, but then you can start to see, you know, who's playing what way and, and whatever. So that's either good or bad. I mean, because if it is learning that, you know, every time you have Anna Kornikova, you're going to raise, um, then maybe you're not getting Anna Kornikova anymore. So you're going, you, you, you took this in the most important direction that I forgot to, <laughs> forgot to talk about because what you're saying is true. Okay. So there are these, there are these things called solvers, right? Solvers are where they, they feed in all this information into, um, this program and, uh, it's, it has like an AI component to it and it, it, it sees what the tendency the, the, the tendency that these people are doing in specific instances over over periods of time. So if you're playing against them in a tournament or in a cash game, more important in a cash game, you put so you put in uh, the opponent uh, three bet the flop, uh, check race or three bet pre flop. So this is this is an online poker. This is something you use you, in a poker room. No, no, no. This is something oh, that you okay. use on. So you, but you, so you have your you have your online game right here, right? You feed this this thing into the solver where it's the circumstance that you're facing against this specific opponent, and it tells you exactly what it is that you're supposed to do to play what they call game theory optimal, which means the perfect mathematical way to play in that circumstance. There were these four or five guys, Jason Bonomo. Um, uh, uh, this kid Fedor, uh, he, he won all these. I mean, he, there's no doubt he is he is an incredible fucking poker player. He's won too many huge live fucking tournaments that are they call them one drop. They're like million dollar buy in tournaments. Uh, but at the same time, he was playing at home, just like Jason Bonomo was. I'm sure it was Bonomo, and they were using these solvers as a way of beating fucking people that you know that played hundreds of thousands of hands to where you could get exact information with regards to their tendencies, how they play ace king suited. How they play uh, Jack Ten suited from from out of position. Well, they play. always had that. Not the artificial intelligence yeah. or machine learning, but I mean, if you were doing your job as a poker player online, there were notes that you could take. You know, if it said I had, I had bad MF Bry, you I know, had shit on everybody. Yeah. I, but there's also even back then there was a thing called poker tracker, which was a which was a pre-solver solver. It was where you just you you would feed all of your statistics into that program, and then it would tell you how. You, and more most importantly, it tells you how you're playing Ace King. You know? Yeah. Because you need to like that's what Ace King offsuit is a hand that people fuck up on all the time. You know. I mean, so you need to have these things so you can see those tendencies. But I it's think not that they generally overvalue it. Or well, it depends. It, it it because it depends on where you are from the button and how often you do it. Like the people that are the best, uh, there this, there's a guy by the name of Garrett Adelstein, and he like in terms of live high high cash game players, like I'm a total fanboy, dude. Like he is a smart motherfucker, dude, and he just beats the trash out of people, and he does he does things. He he will not. He'll do the same thing with the bluff that he does with a really really strong hand enough to where you don't know where he's at. And he knows who you are and how much pressure to just kind of lean with with you. But again, that's that's live. 
That's what I try to do, but I generally get too drunk. You have some skills more dude. often than not. Uh, I like the big argument in poker today is is the difference between game theory optimal, which is that mathematical thing where you have to do everything perfectly balanced. And game theory optimal is and I know Doug, whatever your name is, Doug Polk, you'll talk shit to me for this because you are a GTO guy. But uh it's more important in shorthanded or head-to-head games than it is in, in, in ring games because ring games, there's so many other things that dictate. But So it's game theory optimal versus exploitative. Exploitative is reading, and exploitative is, is what you do. Well, that's what I do. But that's see, this argument is about poker on the same lines that like uh, Moneyball was versus... Um, Numbers versus, yeah. The, no, what, the, what was the Clint Eastwood one? Uh, uh for the, not for the love of the game. What is no, it? his daughter's with him. Yeah, and travels around, and he's and kind Justin, of blind. And, uh, not, is it Justin? Justin Timberlake. Um, we talked about him on the sports one. And it, it, Eastwood, did he direct? He directed the movie too, didn't he? Probably. He just does them all. Uh, curve something. Can, can, uh, trouble with trouble the curve. curve. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that I mean, those two movies argued numbers versus yeah. actual yeah. skill, and you know, being able to be there. And that's kind of what we're talking exactly, about. Exactly. But I mean, of course, the the answer to the question is a mix. If, yeah. If if you if you isolate yourself too much to one specific strategy, then then you can be exploited. You can be exploited for being over exploitative, or you can be exploited for being over mathematical. So you have to, yes, you have to. You need to understand where you're at when you flop a you know an open end flush and straight draw, and you need to understand where you're at when you have aces and there's a three flush to the board. You have black aces and it's three hearts. You know. We should play some fucking poker. Not not casino poker, but where we're just, you know, having a few beers and shooting the breeze with everybody I, again. You know what the sad thing is? is? As much as I played, as much as I used to You don't even it, like it I anymore? I it. Like, yeah. sometimes I like to go and play a tournament for a little while, but even last time I was about four hours in, and I was like, this kid's sitting next to me. No, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like Aaron and Roger yeah, and I just would sit down and hang out and play just for, for social around. purposes. And that's what that's where poker always began anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, you sit around and you bullshit and you drink some beers and you know, we actually um, were going to try to do a short bus poker tour at one point in time, but uh, we ended up on the uh, the short bus for uh, uh, like for conversation. So much fucking recorded. Time and so little value. I mean, if you needed to sleep, you could put it on and it would put you to sleep. We thought it was going to be hilarious. Um. Anyway, we're starting to fucking trail off, uh, and and we're over an hour now. Um. So, obviously, I think, and now I'm going to add another component to it. So I'm a big believer that I should be able to drive down the fucking road with my dragon flying above my car, a pit bull in the back seat, hookers all over in the car, cocaine on the dashboard, a handful of fucking uh, painkillers, maybe some heroin in the glove box. I'm not wearing my seatbelt. And uh, I got a bottle of Jack Daniels. I think that I should be able to do all of that stuff. And it should be fine. Um, Where did you get the dragon? Because everybody's complaining that you can't have animals, you know, because they're dangerous. Well, obviously, there's no dragons, but 
I'm guessing that somebody would say, we don't want you to have a dragon, you it's didn't dangerous. You there were no dragons. You could have just left it. I mean, this is funny. We just had the, the, the dragon, you know, Game of Thrones thing <laughs> on HBO. You know, it, it would be a time where a person might really have the need for a dragon. I can't believe I just fucking snorted. Um, <laughs> anyway, so do we have any idea what our next episodes are going to be? We got. We have to figure it out in the next twelve hours. So, or we could just continue this. To be late, yes. Yeah. Maybe we we don't even think about it as late. They always come in. We we haven't shorted you guys anything. We've done three a week for a while. That was me knocking on wood. I don't want anything to get fucked up, right? I was gonna knock on that, but it looked like bricks. Anyway, um, give us online poker back. That's all we're asking. Yes, online poker. That would be great. Um, okay. Uh, short bus debate club at yahoo.com. 720-334-ROLL. One of my coworkers showed me that he had us programmed into his phone with the uh, short bus debate on it. Which is <laughs> fucking badass. Now, if we could start getting some more calls, I did get a text message. Um, Shout out Juan, though. Right, you gotta throw that That, uh, they were enjoying the show. Um, Wanted to, to do some different stuff. Um, so thank you, Kimberly. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we will uh, talk to you guys next week. Adios. See you later.